Welcome to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and KRDP 90.7 FM. Later in the show, Albert Chase will tell us about Diné Navajo Pollen Trail Cultural Consulting, and we'll chat with Laramie Blake, founder, owner, and designer of Restastic Apparel. But right now, host Lanasha Pawati talks with Native Health Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist, Sumi Tohan. I'm host Lanasha Pawati. Sumi Tohan is Native Health Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist who is in the studio today to talk to us about diabetes. Hello, Sumi. It's an honor to have you on our show today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm awesome. I'm so excited to have you as well. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So I am a registered dietitian. I've been in the field for over 10 years. Um, I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area, Mm -hmm. but I've kind of moved around, worked in uh, Alaska, and most recently I I came from Tuba City. Oh, wow. And what is a... um registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator? Great question. So a registered dietitian is someone who goes through an undergraduate degree of nutritional sciences. Mm -hmm. Um, We complete a dietetic internship, which gives us hands-on experience, go on to take a board exam, and all of that allows us to practice what's called medical nutrition therapy, Mm -hmm. which is helping patients understand how food and their eating habits, as well as their weight, affects their lab values and their chronic disease risk, as well as risk of complications Mm -hmm. and ways to prevent them. Um, As a certified diabetes care and education specialist, I'm able to help patients with establishing a diabetes self-care regimen, Mm -hmm. which involves taking medications, staying active, Mm -hmm. eating healthy, coping with having diabetes, as well as ways of problem solving for risk reduction. Oh, wow. It is definitely a great resource for the community. And how did you get interested in the field? Yeah. So um, growing up, my parents are from India, Mm -hmm. um, and we always implemented, um, you know, herbs and um, really like nutritious anti-inflammatory spices Mm -hmm. in our cooking. And just kind of, I think for me, just observing how different my parents' health was and my family's health was from other people Mm -hmm. that I knew. I was like, okay, there's something (laughs) to this. Um, So I had started off as a a pre-med student, took Mm -hmm. a nutrition class, and I was like, wait, I love food. I want to help people be healthier. You know, this brings it all together. So I decided to focus on that. Oh, wow. That is awesome. And it is the start of a new year. And it's a good time to start taking care of your health. What would be some baby steps to start with this? Yeah, baby steps are the (laughs) way to go. Um, Everything kind of works in a cycle. So if you make one good choice for your health, it usually tends to lead to other ones. The thing that I recommend for most people is focusing on your sleep. Mm -hmm. I think most of us, or a lot of (laughs) us, struggle with that. And if you're tired, you're going to make not the best choices Mm -hmm. when it comes to food because your body is seeking energy. And that means we're going to look out for things that are high fat, high Mm -hmm. sugar to give us that that rush. So if you can start off with practicing a good nighttime routine, get some good sleep, put away your screens an hour (laughs) before bedtime, 
that usually sets you up to make better food choices. And most people then have more energy to get Mm -hmm. more physical activity. So that would be my recommendation. Start with the sleep. Oh, definitely. That makes sense. (laughs) And speaking about diabetes, can you tell us about symptoms that might indicate diabetes? Yeah, Um, there are a lot of them. Some of them are very subtle, Mm -hmm. so often go ignored. Um, Some of the more common ones, excessive thirst. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling really thirsty all the time, you're finding that you're drinking more and more, but still not Mm -hmm. being able to quench that thirst. Um, Excessive urination. And a lot of people think it's because they're they're just drinking more fluids. Mm -hmm. But if you're noticing that you're urinating more and more, that's your body trying to get rid of that extra sugar in your blood. Um, So that's something to pay attention to, especially if you're waking up throughout the night Mm -hmm. to urinate. Um, Along with that goes unexplained weight loss. Um, So most of us are trying to lose weight. We think it's a good thing. But if you're like, hey, I haven't been trying to lose weight, I can't Mm -hmm. explain this. That's a sign that that's something um, that, you know, your blood sugars might be higher than normal fatigue. So, you know, sleeping, but then waking up and still feeling really, really tired. Changes to your vision, Mm -hmm. um, headaches, dry skin. Those are all signs. Mm -hmm. Um, Recurring infections could be a sign as well. Um, Dental problems. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And I understand that there are two two different types of diabetes. Can you let us know the types of diabetes? Yeah. So um, type 1 mm-hmm. diabetes is the one that's actually less common mm-hmm. in the United States. It's a, it's a small percentage of people. That is a genetic condition where the body either does not make enough or does not make any insulin mm-hmm. at all. Um, so for that type of diabetes, the, f- the first line of treatment is insulin. For type 2 diabetes, what's happening is the body is making insulin. However, it's not effective. Mm-hmm. Insulin is that hormone that takes sugar out of the bloodstream, gets it into our cells for energy. Um, So if it's not getting into our cells for energy, we feel really tired. We're having all those symptoms Mm -hmm. I just discussed. So with type 2 diabetes, oftentimes we start off with an oral medication like metformin. um, And then over time, we might need to add an insulin just Mm -hmm. because the body is resistant to it. So even though it's making it, it Mm -hmm. can't keep up with the demands. With type 2 diabetes, there's an opportunity to kind of lessen that amount of insulin we need by making some lifestyle changes, Mm -hmm. being more active, eating healthier, and in some instances, losing weight is Mm -hmm. usually helpful as well. And what are some of the treatments for type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Yeah, so um, with type 1 diabetes, we we do need to start with medication. Mm -hmm. It's going to be insulin. But all of those lifestyle factors Mm -hmm. are still going to be important. So whether you have type 1 or type 2 diabetes, Mm -hmm. working with a certified diabetes care and education specialist can be really helpful to help you, again, establish that self-care routine. So healthy eating, which means a balanced plate. So if we're looking at a plate, we kind of want to fill up half of it with vegetables, Mm -hmm. a quarter with protein, and a quarter with starch. And that's going to be relevant whether you have type 1, Mm -hmm. type 2 diabetes, or pre-diabetes, or you're just trying to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, Physical activity is going to be really important. That's what helps to bring our blood sugar down. Um, And that includes both, you know, something like walking or running, which is cardiovascular, or 
strength and resistance training, um, the more muscle we have on us, the easier it is to get that glucose mm -hmm. out of our bloodstream. And then I already talked a little bit about taking medications. That's mm -hmm. just because diabetes is a progressive illness, mm -hmm. those medications help prevent us from developing um, higher blood sugars and more complications. And then again, that healthy coping piece. So acknowledging, you know, mental health, ways of um, relaxation and stress management. So what are some of the services that you provide if somebody were to come in um, to utilize your services at Native Health? Do you kind of work with them with a like a meal plan or like an exercise plan that they can work on at home if they do have either type 1 or type 2 diabetes? Yes, that's right. So the two services, the fancy names are medical nutrition therapy or diabetes self-management mm -hmm. training. They can be delivered in either an individual or a group setting. Mm -hmm. And exactly what you said, helping people with meal planning, establishing an exercise mm -hmm. routine, um, making sure that they're taking their medications the right way. And if we need to adjust those medications, I'll work mm -hmm. with their provider. Uh, to do that. Um, you know, and then again, it goes back to those small steps. We're mm -hmm. going to set some goals, some realistic, achievable goals. I'm really here for support and accountability mm -hmm. as well as the education piece. Mm -hmm. And is there anything else you wanted to add um, to let our listener knows either about diabetes or about the services that you provide? Yeah, so my goal here is to really support the community in having a better quality of life. So a lot of people um, can feel down when they find out they're at risk for diabetes or they have diabetes, but there are ways to thrive mm -hmm. with diabetes or any other chronic illness. So that's really what I'm here to do to help you live your best life um, and still enjoy all of the things that, that you love while still managing that mm -hmm. condition. And uh, you just brought up one question that came to mind. So what if somebody had just found out that they have diabetes? What would their first steps be or what would you suggest their steps be? Yeah, so that is really the ideal time to be mm -hmm. meeting with someone like myself, a certified diabetes care and education specialist. The first thing that we're going to do is look at how you're eating. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, they don't have a regular meal pattern. We, we have mm -hmm. to eat, so we don't always think about it. So that first step is just being more mindful. Mm -hmm. What am I drinking? What time am I eating? Um, how much time am I sitting? And is there an opportunity there after meals for me to go for a mm -hmm. short walk? Uh, but the first thing I always start with is drinks. Mm -hmm. That's where we're getting <laughs> a lot of calories and carbs that we can usually cut out pretty easily. And is one part of it um, like learning how to read nutrition labels? Because I know maybe a lot of people struggle with even comprehending all the numbers and everything that you see on nutrition labels. Is that something that you work with with clients as well? Absolutely. And it's also um, breaking it down easier, mm -hmm. recognizing food groups. So even if, if you're at a buffet or you're at your family member's house mm -hmm. and you're being served a plate, you can't look at the label, yes. right? But I will help you identify okay, which foods are going to raise your blood sugar? Mm -hmm. So these are the ones we're going to eat in a smaller amount. These ones don't raise your blood sugar, so you can have a bigger portion there. Oh, wow. 
This was a lot of great information, Sumi. Um, how can our listeners learn more about Native House Diabetes Program and how can they contact you if they have further questions? Yeah, so um, at this time, just uh, you can give Native Health a call and ask to be referred to the dietitian. Um, you can find out more on our website as well about our diabetes program. Many of them are upcoming. I'm still in that process of developing them. So there's a lot of good things to look forward to for 2023. That's awesome. We'll look forward to all of those events and everything you have to offer. I would like to thank you, Sumi, for taking time out to talk to us today to tell us about the great program you have to offer at Native Health. Thank you so much for giving me that opportunity. Coming up, Lanasha talks with Albert Chase, founder and director of Dene Navajo Pollen Trail Cultural Consulting. Support for KRDP 90.7 FM comes in part from Native Health, with two locations in Phoenix, 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road, and at 2423 West Dunlap Avenue. Native Health is also located in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern Avenue and Extension Road. Native Health provides primary medical, dental, behavioral health, WIC, and wellness services for the urban Native American community. For more information, call 602 279 5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and KRDP 90.7 FM. I'm host Lanasha Puati. Albert Brent Chase is the founder and director of Dinette Navajo Pollen Trail Cultural Consulting, teaching the cultural and traditions of the Dinette Navajo using many innovative, fun, and creative ways to integrate Dinette Navajo language, music, dance, storytelling, and the arts and crafts. Hello, Albert. It's an honor to have you on our show today. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hello. And before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and about your indigenous heritage? I'll do my protocol of introducing myself and my language first. Um, Yeah, Albert Rent Chase, Yenishia. Ado Hanaga ni Ainishle, Ado Nakai Bashish Chain, Ado and the Tae Totso Nedasha Che, Ado Aina Toha de Nedashanale, Ado Joseph City, Holiado Aya Kehashta. Hello, my name is Albert Chase, Albert Brent Chase, and I am from Joseph City, Arizona, and I introduced my four clans to the people out there. I reside in Joseph City, and I am from the original place called Black Rock, Arizona. Um, We can get started with the basics. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Diné Pollen Trail Cultural Consulting? Sure. Diné Pollen Trail Consulting, I've started uh, probably 
more than 30 years ago and it just kind of grew first when i was in college i worked with college students before that i worked in the capacity of my high school and junior high and all the way back into elementary it started there as i worked with my peers and what i have just who i was as uh, a cultural person and what my background was. And so it just kind of grew uh, and now into my adult life here. Um, I'm home now and in my home area from traveling out there in the States for education or work reasons. And I've come home and I've kind of continued my work and it just kind of became uh, some of sustenance for me uh, to teach. And so I have uh, been ongoing with this type of work uh, just because of the love I have for my culture, my language, and the importance of it being carried on. How and why did you start the your, your own consulting business, the Dineh Pollen Trail Cultural Consulting? Practicing my entrepreneurship, I I have um, wanted always to be my own boss, and of course I've worked under bosses, and you know you can go up to a certain point with uh, working under someone, and when you have the passion of something that you know can grow beyond just uh, maybe the confines of work. I have decided that I would like to try to become more um, efficient and try to become more uh, teacher um, friendly to what I do and as well as it being a business for my uh, my employment uh, as a self-employed person. So just all, all in all, just kind of a well-rounded um, passion of wanting to be a teacher, wanting to be an innovator, as well as a motivational person, and as well as practicing business. And can you tell us about the innovative, fun, and creative ways you've integrated the Navajo language in music, dance, storytelling, and arts and crafts? You know, in today's world, our younger generation, you know, they're already faced with something that's uh, technology and it just really intrigues them and so I feel a lot of the pull away from our traditional way of teaching you know which is pretty much an oral uh, way of teaching Um, you know technology kind of catches the interests of our people so we have a lot that works against us but I know that I've been a musician and an artist Uh, for a long time and a storyteller. So I use those arts to to make it fun for students where they're not just sitting in class, but we get up and we play fun games with our language. I, of course, invent my own games and uh, we make it really fun where our class is roaring and the competitiveness going on because they want to be the winners for that class period 
And then I also use my music as well as my chanting skills and as well as my my dance and compositions that I do. And I use uh, stories that are told and we make it come to life through the songs and dances we do, reenacting uh, the stories possibly. And then also, you know, retelling through movement because, you know, the children... Uh, they, they, they want to move, they want to be engaged, and they want to be engaging with what they're learning. And I think it's really important to do that, um, especially relearning something that is not their first language. And so you've got to be more innovative for them and more creative for them. And so it's a test of, it's a test of time for us as the language teachers and cultural teachers to be innovative and more uh, energy into it and creativity into the language learning. Otherwise, you know, it would be another class that you sit in to learn. And so I've been there, done that in the boarding school days and through school, uh, you know, you sit at the um, desk and you learn and, and, you know, some of us were... Some of, some of us were unlucky at certain points with teachers that weren't very optimistic about teaching. And so with all that experiences, I said, I'm not going to be that teacher. And so when I go to class, you know, and I teach in a hogan, which is our traditional home, and I teach on the, we all sit on the ground and like a t- traditional way. And uh, we use the Hogan for singing practices, for storytelling practices, and dance practices. <clears throat> so it makes the student more engaged uh, to do, and we do a lot of singing practices. And these are not like primary songs uh, that we sing. Uh, maybe for the little ones, like the little kindergarten and first and second graders, but as they get to maybe third and up to sixth grade, we we do teach them the real traditional Navajo songs of the Beauty Way. And what is your favorite activity to teach? My favorite activity to teach possibly is language. Language duel and language lessons, language games, um, talking to them in the Navajo and having them try to puzzle things out and to understand it. Because, you know, right now, a very large percentage of our young people nowadays are English speakers first. And so it gives us as fluent speakers um, a chance to love our culture and love to teach our culture and as well as our language. And so that's always going to be something that's like ongoing and it's not limited. Our language is certainly not limited because we are a descriptive language. And so there are many ways to describe certain things and items um, in our language. And so that's the discovery and rediscovering of our language that the children can know that there is not a top to it 
and that they can be expressive. And so that's that's my favorite is finding uh, what else and how else can I teach our young people to really love their language. They didn't have a chance to love their language because they learned a whole different language called English first. And it's our chance as English, um, Navajo teachers, Navajo language teachers, to be able to love our language enough so that our younger generations will learn to love their language too. Why do you think it is important to teach the youth or focus on the youth? Well, the youth certainly is going to be our future. That is our future. And to many tribes here in the United States, you know, their future are English speakers only. And I don't want our language to be lost in the future. And they are the carriers of the language and the culture that they're learning from us. And so it's really important. And I'm in that in that situation where I have seen that change. I've seen the change where our younger generations could not communicate with their grandmothers. That's the situation we're in. And what I find myself in is, is an interpreter. And that should not be how it is. And that's a very sad transformation that I feel I'm in the middle of. And so that moves me enough. And I've personally experienced it enough through my grandmother that raised me to see her not be able to communicate with her grandchildren that are generation behind me. And I'm caught in the middle where I would have to be an interpreter for their connection. And that's kind of a sad um, situation that is right now. Oh, yes. And um, I'm sure you've worked with many different youth. Um, do you have any favorite success stories? Well, interestingly enough, of course, I love teaching uh the school-age students from elementary to high school and even into college, and now even to adults, which take my classes on Zoom. But I would say my success story is apprenticeship. Apprenticeship works. I raised three of my nephews, and all through the years of raising them, They've experienced, you know, pollen trail performances and how we grew together. And so two of them are out there making their own lives happen. But one of them, the middle one, stayed with me. And he said, I want to continue to learn what you're teaching us and I want to learn it. And so he's been employed with me at the school I work with for more than 10 years now. And he was an English speaker. All three of them were English speakers first. But now, his name is Garrick Yazi, and he has been learning what I've been teaching him, even the teaching styles of how to teach the language. Now, 
when I have to go to maybe the principal office for a meeting or if I wasn't able to go to work, he can carry on the whole day teaching the students from kindergarten to sixth grade. Now, if anybody says apprenticeship doesn't work, he is a living success and testimony that what we teach and carry on to our children can be picked up by the young ones. Oh, wow, that is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and you earlier you had mentioned um, how some of your students or some of the youth you worked with were through Zoom. Um, so do you teach in person and online? And can you also let us know who is eligible to attend your classes? Sure. Uh, this is a discovery kind of in the evolving and changing times in the era of COVID. You know, when COVID had stopped our schools and we had to move on to Zoom classes and the struggles that came along with learning how to do a Zoom class was a whole world in itself and all teachers, including myself, struggled with it. And as we got better and better with it, you know, we became kind of a little bit of experts on on having class through Zoom. And so, you know, and by the time we got a good hold of it, we got back into school. Of course, there's nothing like having a person-to-person at-school teaching with the students where you can see them, talk to them right away, and actually experience their movement, their sounds, their talking, and just the whole being of a, a student. Of course, that's always the best way to teach, but Zoom also taught us how to teach over Uh, technology in in the virtual world. And so when that happened, my idea that, hey, this can actually open up not just to my students, but I could actually uh, get my own Zoom channel and I could um, announce that I'm going to be doing a certain unit in our language and culture. And if anybody would like to learn, you know, I'll just open up an invitation and make some flyers and and post them on my Facebook channel. And so that worked. People started responding to it. And I just kind of figure what would be the cost because, you know, there's got to be, uh, in this world, we call it cost, fees. But to me, traditionally, it's an offering. When you offer something, you know, to what you want, my people always say that when you make that offering, it comes back to you in a very easy way and that your comprehension of what you've made an offering for will be very successful. And so that's how I explained it to my Zoom students that you know, in the world today, we call it fees and and cost and expense, but let's call it an offering because this is something sacred. That's there's an exchange happening for you to learn something from me, and then the offering you give me helps me continue to thrive 
and make more opportunities happen, and which has happened. And so, yeah, I do have a Zoom class that's open up to the states. Even some of the European people want to take some of these classes, but um, I I can't simply because of shipping is very expensive. If I were to ship stuff to them, um, I I would have a lot of expense, and then um, some of the difficulties of doing the mailing there. So. People in the States have been, it's all over, have been taking my class. I offered my beginning language, the beginning Navajo language class. I have several units about hogans, got a unit about corn and the stories and songs that go with it. And um, right right now, I'm in the middle of starting my new class of beginning weavers and so i i i my last class that ended really enjoyed their um beginning weaving now some of them are moving to be uh, beginning weaving too they're going to continue to learn different designs and so it's been successful and i'm glad i did it and I think this is an opportunity for people beyond the boundaries of my hometown, my home state, and to all the states that want to learn, because there are Navajos everywhere. And then it's not just open to Navajos. It's also open to anybody who has interest in learning about the Navajo language, um, the Navajo culture, as well as some of the artistic stuff that I might be um uh, presenting, you know, it's open to them. And I do have non-Navajos that are weaving and they're doing an excellent job. And finally, how can our listeners learn more about the Net Navajo Pollen Trail Cultural Consulting and how can they contact you if they have further questions? Sure. Um, my email is something I always look uh, to first. And my email is a b chasing wind at gmail dot com, and that is where you can email me your interest. And then my Facebook, you just um, search Albert Chase. And then um, my website is um, navajopollentrail dot com. And then my YouTube channel, when you go to YouTube, just search Navajo Pollen Trail, and it'll take you to my channel, and you can subscribe there. And um, I'm always posting things that are of cultural values and teachings. I'm also um, implementing the beginning sounds of Navajo, so you can learn how to read and write for our language was not written. And so now people who have a chance to have that as a supplemental help for you to understand the sounds, um, that's great. It's a good supplement for people who want to learn Navajo. So those are my uh, contact. And um, always uh, check on Facebook, maybe follow me um, on Facebook, just um, Look for our search, Albert Chase. 
Awesome. I would like to thank you, Albert, for taking time to talk to us today to tell us more about your cultural consulting. You bet. It's been a pleasure to share that and to people out there um, always who wanted to learn Navajo or learn about culture. This is your opportunity and you can do it right from your home. Zoom in and connect with me and I'll be happy to work with you. Up next, Lanasha chats with Laramie Blake, founder, owner, and designer of Restastic Apparel. Support for KRDP 90.7 FM comes in part from Native Health, with two locations in Phoenix, 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road, and at 2423 West Dunlap Avenue. Native Health is also located in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern Avenue and Extension Road. Native Health's Family Health Advocates can help you enroll, renew, or update your access information. This can be done in person, on the phone, or via Zoom, days, nights, or weekends. It's fast, easy, and can make a difference in keeping your health care coverage. For more information, call 602-279-5262. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and KRDP 90.7 FM. I'm host Lanasha Puati. Laramie Blake is the owner and designer of Reztastic Apparel. Hello, Laramie. It's an honor to have you on our show today. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, and please kick things off for us with an introduction to yourself, your story, and your Indigenous heritage. Okay. Well, my name is Laramie. Um, I am full Navajo. So I am from a small community um, known as Spider Rock. It's um, east of Chinle. Um, I do currently reside in the Valley, so with my small business, I also, you know, a full-time mom, and I do run my business from home, so starting, before starting my business, I was a part-time weaver, and then I was also a college student, a college worker at the Mesa Community College, and before the pandemic hit, I was laid off. Um, from work, and then I had to put my education on hold. 
Can you mm-hmm. tell us um, more about your apparel, Restastic Apparel? So Restastic Apparel uh, initially started in 2020. Um, for those of you that don't know, like what I sell, I do sell a number of items from infant to adult shirts, stickers, tote bags, and hoodies. And along with these items, I do custom orders for um, other small businesses. I do like high school, sport teams, and all of my designs are inspired by heritage and the beauty of where I come from. And I know you mentioned that um, you started Restastic in 2020, but what sparked your interest in wanting to start um, your apparel? So there was actually like no reason to why I started my business. Um, It just kind of suddenly happened. Uh, So during the pandemic, um, I was gifted an iPad. And during the whole lockdown, you know, everybody staying home, I started uh, like sketching and drawing stuff on my iPad. And I would, you know, just do stuff for my personal use. So I then thought about stickers. And so I started to do like research. I started watching YouTube videos and it led me to purchasing like a, um, one of those cricket machines. And after, you know, I learned how to make stickers from home, I then started to share it like on my social media and a lot of it, most of it got attention and friends and family were purchasing from me. And then soon after I created my, Etsy shop and so it it went on from there and so now I, I currently have it open still um only because I'm very proud of how much sales I have on Etsy I'm at 6.5k in sales um I could let Etsy go but I choose not to because uh, like I said the sales is what I'm proud of And I do have like a personal website just for my business. So I do run two shops. And how did you get um, interested in fashion? Um, I got interested in fashion when a lot of my customers and my supporters were asking me if my designs come on t-shirts. Because, they, like I said, I, I started off with just stickers. And so they, you know, were constantly asking me if my designs come on T-shirts. And so I started, you know, doing my research, starting to figure out how I could get my designs on T-shirts. So that's kind of where it started. I started placing them on T-shirts and I do... Uh, use good quality t-shirts um, and with very unique stylish colors. And how do you come up with your designs or what inspires most of your designs? So what inspires me a lot is um, paying attention to what people are interested in. Um, I also go off of like trends like stuff that are happening 
like, um, for example, the indigenous creatures. That was a trend that hit social media. And so, you know, going off of trends like that, and sometimes, you know, if I create a design, I share on my social media for feedback. And so my, my target audience is mostly like for women, female, presenting people, but I, you know, my designs are open for all genders. And um, my t-shirts are all unisex sizes, um, ranging from small to 5X, and also like have infant clothes, youth clothes, toddlers. And I know um, you mentioned that kind of during the pandemic, you were gifted your iPad is when you kind of started sketching and drawing out and it kind of inspired your stickers. Were you um, artistic before? Like, were you into drawing before? So I, this is, um, this is the thing. I was never into sketching. Like, it was something that I had no interest in doing. But <clears throat> for some reason, it's just the, the digital art, you know, it, it did something different for me. So I, that kind of took me, you know, it shocked me as well that, like, my designs are actually coming this far. So I, I, I was never really, like, a sketch, like, a into drawing kind of thing, but before opening up my business, I was a weaver. So with the, you know, weaving rugs, you also have to think of designs and you have to put together colors. So on the artistic side, I do believe that part plays a role into my business. And um, how has your business grown in the past few years? It's been growing pretty good. Like I said, I opened I started in 2020. It did start it off slow. I mean, any any other business would. So I feel like this past year in 2022 was when my business grew. I think a lot of it had to do with traveling to the reservation, uh, doing flea markets there, doing the fairs. And from there, I've been invited to different events on and off the reservation and I think traveling did play a lot in these because not everybody's on social media and I also noticed that a lot of people don't do online shopping they like to see the quality in person and you know it's something that I, I really understand and I do love traveling you know out there to to these markets because I get to know my customers more and just loving um, hearing feedbacks in person. And speaking about where we can find um, your your merchandise, do you sell your merchandise in the Phoenix area? Um, I don't. I mean, I'm, I live here in the Valley, so if anybody was ever you know, interested in purchasing, you would just like have to give me a few days uh, notice so that we could like meet up as far as uh, picking up your order. Um, but my website is always open, you know, for online shoppers for people that live outside of the valley. 
And is there someone um, who you look up to? Um, I do look up to my mom in many ways. Um, so like in the Navajo culture, the women are seen as the leaders in the household. So therefore, I look up to her in so many ways. And one of my designs um, is called The Best Darling. She's the one, uh, the sheep wearing the scarf. Uh, so that design was actually inspired by my mom and her uh, flock of sheep. Um, my mom always taught us that um, sheep is life. So I created the, the Best Darling as a recognition to my mom's hard work and taking care of um, our family and the livestock. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I think that's one of my favorite designs, so I like to hear the story behind it. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's a popular one. <laughs> but, Laura Mee, can you let us know um, how can our listeners learn more about Restastic Apparel and how can they contact you? Um, they can contact me through my website. Um, I tell a lot of people that uh, go to the website. Um, there's a little chat button on the right corner. Um, you can reach out to me there. And I could also be reached through my social media, my Facebook, and my Instagram. And my uh, my website is www.redpasticapparel.com. And my Facebook and Instagram tags are at redpasticapparel. Well, I would like to thank you, Laramie, for taking time out to talk to us today to tell us more about your company, Restastic Apparel. Yes, thank you. Um, I just want to also say that <clears throat> thank you for having me as a guest here, and I love the idea of a podcast show, uh, showcasing small indigenous business. And just a huge thank you to all my customers who've shown me love and support this far. It's been a crazy year last year, but we're, we're ready to do it all over again. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and 90.7 FM KRDP. Our executive producer is Susan Levy. Sound engineer is Javier Quiroga, and our host is Lanasha Puati. We hope you will tune in again next week. If you have any questions, please reach us at nativetalkaz at listen2krdp.com.